looking for. It's one thing for them to be the right person that you're looking for, but if you're not the right person that they're looking for, why should they accept you looking for them? Are you with me this morning? And whether that be someone that you're wanting to date or somebody that you're going to marry, or whether that be a, a child and parent relationship or vice versa, you know, if there's one thing that I've learned is that if I want my kids to, to respect and treat me the way that I want to be treated, then I have to treat them the right way too, yeah? It's not just a one-sided thing. It's not about them becoming the children that they need to become. It's about me becoming the parent that I need to become. And if there's something that I've learned in 25 years of marriage to my beautiful wife, it's that, is this. If I see a problem in her, it's because there's a problem in me. So if I fix the problem in me first, it seems to fix the problem in her as well. Because most of the things that we point out in people's lives that we find, whether it be relational, friendship, or whatever, most of the things that we point out in people's lives that we perceive to be something wrong is usually triggered by something that you need to sort out in you. Because accusation always flows from a guilty conscience. Usually the thing that we accuse others of is the very thing that we're struggling with. Hello? And so it's about us becoming the right person so that the p right person that we're looking for finds the right person. And it's not about just about finding the right person, as we said, but it's about becoming the right person. And I want to encourage you because what you do now sets you up for success later or what you do now sets you up for failure later, especially our single people. But today I want to hit on one of the big myths that are out there. And if you've got children in here this morning, you might want to remove them in a moment because the big myth that we're hitting on this morning is that sex is just physical. And so this morning we're going to have a conversation around this because I think it's really important that we have a discussion in church about what the Bible says about sex and sexuality because if we don't talk about what the Bible says then people are going to believe what Shortland Street teaches them. And Shortland Street doesn't teach you the right things. And neither does the school system. And I don't want to get up here this morning and do what traditionally is done in church life and turn around and go, uh, sex is wrong, don't do it, because that's not an answer. Come on. Because the first thing that I've learned that my teenage kids have said to me is if I say, don't do that, it's wrong, the first thing they ask is, why is it wrong? And so we need to have a discussion about why God does what he does and why God says what he says about sex and sexuality, because if we understand that God is for us and not against us, if we understand that God has give, come to give us life and life more abundantly, but it's the devil that comes to rob, steal, and destroy, we will have a wrong concept around this whole thing because we think that God's trying to be a killjoy when actually God is trying to protect us. And so this morning, hopefully, by the end of this, you'll understand why it's so important, but you'll also find healing through the whole process. And it's not going to be crass or gross, so don't don't get carried away, but we need to understand that we live in a society and we've been told this lie in this world that we live in that sex is purely just a physical thing. It's a physical thing, no one gets hurt, we can just have fun, it's all okay, no harm is done because it's just a physical thing. But the reality is, is that the truth is this, is the truth is sex is not just physical. And if you treat sex as just being a physical thing, the Bible teaches that you endanger hurting yourself and eventually you'll hurt the person that you marry. And so I want to ask you some questions this morning that will help us to understand what I'm saying here, but it's actually the part of the message I don't really want to do 
Because I understand in asking these questions to you, we may open up some things in your world which may kind of hurt you or upset you because of stuff that has happened. It may be painful and could surface some things that you've gone through in your past. It's not my intention to hurt you, and I believe by the end of this that God's going to heal you. There's no agenda to these questions other than to get us to understand and to feel the gravity of the fact that sex is just not a physical thing. And I think that as we go through this, you will agree with me. In our heart of hearts, we know that, but we just don't really talk about it. Because your sexuality is connected to your personality, and it's connected to your soul in such a powerful way that if you treat it as something that is just physical, you will hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. And I don't want that for you, and you don't have to have that for you. And so I'm just going to ask these three questions, and I don't necessarily have the answer to these questions at all. It's just questions that I hope will help you to understand the gravity of what can happen if we just treat this thing as a physical thing and not understand that it's so much more than that. And hopefully these questions will stir that in your thinking. And like I said, they're not intended to hurt anyone. But here's the first thing I want to ask you. If, if sex is just physical and nothing else, why is it when a child is sexually abused that when they become an adult and they start to connect the dots between what happened and realize what happened to them, why is it so difficult for them to shake that off if it's just physical? Why is it that people that have been sexually abused can carry that around the whole entire life, affect every relationship they have if it's just physical? Here's the next question. Why is it that rape is so much more devastating to a woman than being beaten up? Why is it that a woman feels like she has to carry around the secret of rape for her whole entire life and they can't tell anyone if it's just physical? If sex is just physical, then it's just like being beaten up or slapped around because sexuality is not just physical though, is it? You see, I don't remember any fights I got into, but I can remember sexual stuff that happened to me. If it's just physical, then why is it such a painful thing for people? If it's just physical, why is it that men that fall into a sexual addiction, according to studies done all around the world, when they go to deal with their sexual addiction, they discover that there's a, there's a connection to it of a missing father or absent father? If sex is just physical, why is it that guys that have a major sexual addiction are usually when they connect it all together and start talking and walking through the process and dealing with that, discover that there was an absent father or a disconnected father relationship between them and their father. If it's just physical, then why does that happen? Why? Because sexuality and sex is not just a physical thing. And it touches us and is rooted in the inside of us in the deepest parts of our being. And if you treat it as just physical, you will hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. One last question for you this morning. Why is it, if sex is just a physical thing, why is sexual stuff that people have done usually their greatest regret? 
Why is it when people come to see me in my office, they don't come in and go, man, I need to tell you something that I've never told anybody before in my life. When I was 16 years of age, I, I backed my dad's car out of the driveway and I dinged my mum's car. That's never what they tell me. Usually, just about every single time, I need to tell you something that I've never told anyone else before in my life. It's either they've been abused, or they've been raped, or they've done some slept around, or something that they're ashamed of. Why is it, if it's just a physical thing, why is it that people carry that around? Why is it that they're so ashamed of that? I'll tell you why, because your sexuality and your sexual behavior is not just physical. And I think we know that in our heart of hearts, but we live in a culture that wants us to make it just physical and simple and not a big deal, and, and it's, just, it's just sex, it doesn't mean anything. But the thing is, is that it does. And I believe all of us in our heart of hearts really believe that it's not physical. But if we treat it as physical, we will hurt ourselves. We're going to get into some scripture shortly, so don't panic. But you have to understand this, that God created sex and sexuality so that we could experience what is true intimacy. In fact, I would say this, and you can argue with me about this afterwards, but I would suggest to you that in marriage, when a couple come together in a sexual relationship, the unity that comes, and we'll see this in Scripture later, is the closest thing that reflects the unity of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's an interconnection. There's a, it's not just a physical thing. Intimacy it means to know and to be fully known. And to me, a sexual relationship between husband and wife is the ultimate expression of intimacy. It's, it's full of passion. It's fearless. It's free of comparison. It's free of criticism. It's full-on, passionate, fearless, coming together as one. And it's going to be, and it is, a fragile yet powerful thing. And God decided that he was going to give that as a gift to the human race, this fragile yet powerful, incredible thing of intimacy for a sexual relationship with your husband or your wife because he wants you to experience intimacy with one another in a way that you can experience that intimacy with him, not in a sexual way, don't get depraved here, but that intimacy, that oneness, that connection. Sex is not just physical and you can't do whatever you want with your body because one day you'll get married. And it won't just all be magical and fine because you've hurt yourself because of your multiple sexual relationships that you may or may not have had. Marriage does not remove the struggle around our sexuality and sex. Just because you're married, it doesn't solve it. In fact, I think when you become married, you become a bigger target for the enemy to distort that part of your world because now he's not just destroying an individual, he can destroy a family. I know this is not something we generally talk about too much, but I think we have to because we have to understand the gravity of this, that it's not just a physical thing. Something happens here. And the thing is, is that you don't have to hurt yourself and you don't have to hurt others. You can get it right because God created it and he created you for it and he gave it to you. Yes, it's fragile. Yes, it's powerful. But if you handle it with care and express it in the right context, it is the most beautiful and incredible thing you'll ever experience. 
And here's the crazy thing, is that we understand just from some of those questions that I asked you, that we understand the gravity of it. We understand that it's not just physical, but that it actually affects the deepest part of who we are. And here's the crazy thing. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul knew this and taught us this in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says this. This is just the first bit. It says, flee sexual immorality. Notice he doesn't say sex. He says sexual immorality. Be that pornography, be that whatever it is. He says flee it. It's an interesting thing here because he doesn't say manage it. Are you with me? He doesn't say resist it. He says, flee from it. In other words, get the hell away from it as fast as you can. It goes on and says this, all other sins people commit. Here's the crazy thing. We're about to hear what I've just explained to you through those questions that sex is not just physical. We're about to hear that Paul says this 2,000 years ago. He's saying all other sins people commit. In other words, he's saying sexual sin is like no other sin. Not because God hates it more or because God will judge you more harshly, not because it sends you to hell, not because God won't like you, not because God won't forgive you. Sexual sin is like no other sin because of the depth that it goes and the hurt that it causes you and the person that you do it with. It says this, all other sins people commit are outside of their bodies, but those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. In other words, Paul is saying here what I've just said to you, that those who sin sexually hurt themselves. Hurt themselves. That there's a hurt that happens at the deepest level imaginable to the point that in some cases people carry that around with them for the rest of their lives. It is not just physical It has its own category in Scripture because God understands what He created it to be and He understands when it's not handled correctly the damage that it can cause on the inside of you. He goes on earlier in chapter 6 and verse 16 and Paul says this, that do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Now, I'm not saying that you went around and sleeping with prostitutes. It's not the point. The point I want to make here is that he says the word unite here. And most people, because of what we've been taught in society, that sex is just physical. They're like, well, Craig, you're getting a little bit carried away here. I wasn't trying to unite with anybody. It was just sex before I got married, and it's all good. It was just something that happened, a summer fling. It's, it doesn't mean anything. But here Paul says, unites himself. In other words, that when you have sex with someone, you unite. And that word unite in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, it means like glue, glued together. The only way I can describe it is like scrambled eggs. You can't separate it. Once the milk and the eggs are together, the milk and the eggs are together. You can't separate it. It's mixed together, unable to be separated. But, but, but Craig, you don't understand. We didn't unite, we just had sex. We, we didn't unite. And Paul is trying to say to them, do you not know because they don't know. And I'm trying to say to you this morning, if you don't think, if you think sex is just physical 
and it's not more than that, then you don't know how sex works as God intended it and created it to be. There is a permanency to sex. You become one with that person. Oh, but, but Craig, it was, just, it was just a summer sling, fling. You know, I, I can't even remember his or her name. <laughs> I wasn't trying to become one with them. I was just doing what all my friends were doing. I, I understand what you're saying, but what the scriptures teach me is that it's not just physical. And you may think you were just doing something, but Paul is saying here, if you think that, then you just don't understand sex. It's not just a physical activity. It is deep, soulish, and personable more than anything else. And here's the crazy thing. God designed it that way so you could become one with your one. God designed it to be that way, not to harm you and hurt you, but so that when you find your one, you become one with them. Because he knows how awesome that is. Goes on, it says this in 1 Corinthians 6.16. It said, for it is said the two become one flesh. That is what sex is. It's about the two becoming one, and the one can't be undone. The two become one flesh. One. Not two, one. Intertangled, glued together, a permanency. Now, I realize there could be some people here this morning pushing back on this a little bit with me and at what I'm saying. And here's the thing, I may not be able to answer all of your arguments, but I bet if you were really honest with yourself right now, in your heart of hearts, you know that it's not just physical, that there's something more to it. Paul goes on and Verse 19 of chapter 6, and now he starts to address Christians, not non-Christians, Christians. Some of the things that we do as Christians is we hold non-Christians to a standard that God's holding us to. He's never holding non-Christians to. God expects sinners to sin. He expects you and I to live differently. And he goes on and he says this, do you not know that your, body are, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. In other words, he's saying this, that when you give your life to Christ, when you repent of your sin and give your life to Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes and he lives. He builds his house on the inside. He lives in you. It's not just a body that you're walking around and you're walking around with a temple that holds the presence and the power and the love of Almighty God. goes on, it says, your body is not your own. We were bought at a price. See, this is the thing that rages in the face of society where there's a thing going around at the moment saying, my body, my choice. No, it's not your body. You're created in his image. If you are a Christian, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not your body. It's his. And he owns all of it. It belongs to God. And so the scripture goes on and says, because of all of this, because he brought you with a price, because it's not your own, therefore honor God with your bodies. And so my question to myself and to you this morning is, okay, so how best do I honor God with my body? How do I honor you, God, with my sexuality and my sexual behavior? How do I do that? 
Well, there's a couple of things that we need to understand, and then I'm going to give you a couple of things that you can do. But let me just say this this morning, that sex is not a matter of personal preference. Sex is a matter of divine design. Sex is not a matter of personal preference. It's a matter of divine design. God divinely designed sex for you and I so that we could have that within the bounds of a loving marriage. It's designed. It's not a preference. It's not like, well, I don't like Coke, so I'll drink Alan P. Or like last night. We don't like lasagna, mum, so we didn't have lasagna for dinner. We had nothing for dinner. It's not a personal preference. It's a divine design. God designed it divinely for a purpose, and not just for the purpose of reproduction, but for the person of, for the, for the reason of ultimate intimacy within a married relationship, and God made it, and God made it a certain way to work, and that's why there are consequences if we don't pay attention to how God has designed it to work, a little bit like if you get a pre-pack bookcase delivered to your house, and you do what I do and put it together without instructions, there's always bits left over, and it usually collapses because it hasn't been treated with the care that the designer created it to be cared with. Let me just crack a couple of myths, other myths here this morning before I get into the part which I believe that God wants to bring healing to your world. And this is the first myth that the world tells you, which is just not true, is that practice makes perfect. That you don't want to be a newbie when you get into marriage. You don't want to look stupid when you get married. So what you need to do is get yourself a little bit of experience so that when you get married, you don't look stupid. Can I just say something after 25 years of marriage? and I'm sure there are other people that have been married longer than us here, but can I say after 25 years of marriage, can I give you some advice? Look stupid. I thought that was funny, but okay. <laughs> look stupid. If there's one area in your relationship with your husband or your wife that you can look stupid, it's this area. Practice does not make perfect in this area. Let, let me explain something you... You don't need a lesson on how to do this. You will discover it on your own. In all my pre-marriage counseling, I've never had to explain to them how this works. I've never had a phone call on a honeymoon going, how do I do this? Man, you guys are so serious this morning. <laughs> It's not something that has to be explained. And some of you that are raising children, before you even got to the stage where you sit down and have the conversation, they're telling you how it works. Nobody needs to be practice this. They know. You'll know. And so I want to encourage you, if you look stupid, that's a good thing. You'll figure it out. Trust me. You don't need no practice sessions. And there ain't a woman in this world that's going to be in love with someone who rocks up on their wedding night and goes, it's okay, babe, I got this. I've practiced a couple of hundred times. <laughs> There's not a woman in this room that's going to be like, awesome. There's not a guy in this room that's going to go, awesome. Because the truth is this, is that romance and marriage is fueled by a sense of 
exclusivity. Oh, exclusiveness. <laughs> it's not a skill you have to develop. Romance is not the physical act of sex. Romance is more than that because sex is not just physical. It's the coming together of one. It's the ultimate intimacy. And romance is not stirred in marriage because of multiple partners. It's stirred because of the exclusiveness of being able to say, you are the only one that I have eyes for. You're the only one that I need. You're the only one that I want. There is something incredible, husbands and wives, if I can just speak to you for a minute, that your wife or your husband has given you if they can turn around and say, of all the sexual needs that I have, I have decided that you're the only one that I ever want to fulfill those. To me, that's a great privilege that I get to fulfill that part of Trinity's world and nobody else does. That she's chosen me to do that. That's, that's, that's romance. Come on. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's really quiet. It's that kind of romance that fuels your marriage. And I know that this kind of message can land in a whole lot of different places. Maybe you have regrets. Maybe you have guilt. Or maybe you wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Yeah? Or maybe you're here and you're going, you know, go for it, preach it. We really need to hear this. Maybe, maybe not so much of that. I thought that was funny too, but okay. But I want to finish this morning by giving you a couple of things that you can do and then sharing with you what God does for us. The first thing is this. If, if, if you've had sexual relationships outside of marriage and stuff like this, there's not much you can do about that now. That's, that's the past. It's It's happened. But here's something that you can do going forward. First thing that you can do is determine the story you want to tell. Determine, determine the story that you want to tell. In other words, live now how you want to be able to tell the story then. Let, let me give you an example. Here's one story that you could tell when you meet your one. You could tell them that in all the relationships that I've been in, they've always been sexual, um, but you need to know that that now I've decided that you're the only one for me. And so that's going to be it for me. You, you could have that story. Or you could have a story that says, you know, in my past I have had sexual encounters with other people, but then on this day in, in May in 2019, I heard this really good-looking preacher <laughs> talk about how it's not just physical, but it's more than that. And so I made a decision that I was going to live differently from that day on. And from that day until now, I have kept myself completely and totally for you because you mean that much to me that this part of me is only for you from here on in. And I've kept that. That's, that's a better story, yeah? That's a better story. But you can determine the story that you tell. Nobody else can. You determine it. So I want to encourage you to live now how you want to tell the story then. And then the second thing that I think you need to do is this, is that decide ahead of time what honoring God with your body looks like. 
Decide before you even start dating, what is honoring God with my body looks like? In other words, I would put it this way, make yourself a sexual budget. <laughs> Look at me like, what? We make a financial budget, yes? Anybody, most people do that. And you make a decision about what you are and are not going to spend your money on. We need to make a sexual budget which talks about this, what I am and I'm not going to spend my body on. What I am and what I am not going to spend my body on. You know, Dave and Gina aren't here this morning. They're in Sydney for the weekend, but for the first, I think it was three or four, maybe longer than that, months of their relationship, they didn't kiss. They just held hands. They made a decision that during this period, this is all going to, we used to have this three-month kind of rule thing that we had in our youth ministry where for the first three months that you're dating, no physical contact. Why was that? Well, we were trying to hurt people. No, we weren't trying to hurt people. We just know from experience that 95% of relationships end inside three months, so you don't want to do anything with that person that you don't, that you're going to regret. Make a sexual budget about what you are prepared and what you will or won't spend your body on. And when we talk about sex and sexuality, we're not just talking about the actual act. Because some people think that if I haven't done the actual act, but I, everything else is okay. No, it's not. Because it's about intimacy, not the physical act. It's gone real quiet. So the first thing you want to do is determine the story that you want to tell. And then the second thing you want to do is, is decide what you are prepared and not prepared to do. Make yourself a sexual budget. Because here's the thing that, we, uh, that we've got to get into our heads because the world doesn't tell us this. But giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. Giving up something now but something better later is not a sacrifice, it's an investment. It's an investment. You are not sacrificing for your one, you are investing in your future. Because you understand that if I go without now, so I don't have to go without then, that you've made an investment into your marriage, not a sacrifice. Does that make sense? And one last thing that I'd say this morning as the musicians and singers come. If you have had sexual experiences outside of marriage, there's a couple of things that I think that God has put in Scripture to help us. First thing is this, is that the Bible says that if we, we can pray and break the soul ties that we've made with other people, because the Bible says that the two become one. And so there's some people here that are married this morning that are, all of a sudden a light bulb's going to go off because you've wondered why when it comes to intimacy and sexuality inside your marriage there's been a struggle. It's because you haven't broken off the soul ties of those that you joined yourself with previous to your marriage. And so you've actually brought those people into your marriage. You see, if you don't break the soul ties of previous sexual relationships with people before you get married, you're not just marrying the person you're marrying, you're marrying all the people that they slept with. 
because they've become one with them, and then when they join with you, they become one with you. It's just a biblical principle. But here's the great thing about God. God always loves us enough to not just tell us, hey, this is not a good idea, but if we mess up, I've got a way out for you. If you mess up, I've got an answer for you. I've got a solution for you. Because God did not come to condemn the world, but to free the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then it goes on and says, for I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. The Bible says this, that he who has given his life to Christ, these are my words, but this is what the Bible says, who the son sets free, if you give your life to Christ, is free indeed. That he forgives us of all of our sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says that he throws our sin into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more as if it never happened. He removes it as far as the east is from the west, which is a continual space. God doesn't remember the things that we've done once we repent. And you may need to repent of some of that stuff that maybe you did before and break those soul ties and you'll find that it, it brings a lot of healing to you personally but also to your marriage. But here's the scripture that I want to read you the most because I love this scripture. It's in Colossians 1, 19 to 20. And it says this, For God is satisfied to have all of His fullness dwelling in Christ. And that by the blood of his cross, by the blood that he shed on his cross, everything in heaven and everything on earth is reconciled. That word reconciled is the same uh, word where we get the idea of an accountant. An accountant is somebody who goes around and reconciles your accounts and makes them whole again. The picture here that Christ is trying to share is that he put the fullness of of God into Christ and when he died on the cross for your sins his blood enabled uh, everything in heaven and everything on earth that was not reconciled that was not whole to become whole again back to himself listen to this back to its original intent restored to innocence again back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. In other words, if you will let him, Jesus will go out like an accountant and find all the bits that you gave away over the years and he'll get them back, reconcile it, bring it back to you, make you whole again in the original intent that he had you to be innocent again. Some of you may not believe this and you may think it's a little bit weird, but... Trinity and I have prayed for girls more than guys for some reason that have come to us as they're about to get married and say, I want it to be like it's my first time. And we've prayed that God would restore their virginity back to them. And they've come to us and said afterwards, it was, it, it, it was like the very first time. Here's the thing. If God can save your soul and if God can heal cancer, and if God can do all those things, why can't he restore your virginity back to you again? Why can't he restore and bring all those bits that you're giving up, make you whole again so that your marriage is whole again? 
All we've got to do is just ask them to break off those ties to those other people. Because you don't want them in your marriage. You want them out of your marriage. Because the world might tell you that sex is just physical, but it's not. It's way more than that. And that's why God says to keep it in the sanctity of marriage. Not because he's trying to kill the vibe, and, but because he understands that outside of it, outside of that safe, secure relationship, you'll injure yourself. And then when you injure yourself, you carry that injury with you. But you don't have to do that because he's come that he can reconcile and bring everything back to its original tent, back to its restored innocence. 